SLU International Business Now, Conversations That Matter is a podcast developed by the Boeing Institute of International Business in St. Louis University's Chaffetz School of Business. Established in 1984, the Boeing Institute of International Business offers a breadth of global business resources for the university, community, and beyond. With nationally ranked academic programs and extensive corporate partnerships, the Boeing Institute today stands as a premier academic institution for the teaching and practice of international business. This podcast series is an extension of the Institute's mission, bringing together critical thought leaders from around the world to address current key global business topics. Our aim is to promote future discussion among our listeners and encourage community action based around those international business conversations that matter. Special thanks to founder Dr. Sung Kim for his grant to support the launch of this podcast. Welcome to this new episode podcast from St. Louis University's Boeing Institute of International Business. I'm your host, Patricio Duran, Assistant Professor of International Business, bringing you Conversations That Matter. We honor to have Enterprise Holdings Inc. as a sponsor today. Enterprise Holdings Inc. is a leading provider of mobility solutions, owning and operating the Enterprise Rent-A-Car, National Car Rental, and Alamo Rent-A-Car brands through its integrated global network of independent regional subsidiaries. Enterprise Holdings and its affiliates offers extensive car rental, car sharing, truck rental, fleet management, retail car sales, as well as travel management and other transportation services to make travel easier and more convenient for customers. Privately held by the Taylor family of St. Louis, Missouri, Enterprise Holdings manages a diverse fleet of nearly 1.7 million vehicles through a network of more than 9,500 fully staffed neighborhood and airport rental locations in nearly 100 countries and territories. For more information about Enterprise Holdings Inc., visit www.enterpriseholdings.com. Today, we're going to discuss global COVID business challenges. My guest is Dr. Dave Dowell, the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of Operations at Novus International. In the Operations VP role, Dave has global responsibility for manufacturing, logistics, procurement, and regulatory affairs, ensuring that Novus supplies products that meet the highest standards of the Novus quality system in a reliable manner. A native of St. Louis, Missouri, they host two bachelor's degrees, one in chemistry and one in chemical engineering from Vanderbilt University and a doctorate in chemical engineering from Washington University. Dr. Dowell, thank you for joining us today. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here today to talk about my experience and you know, I'm fortunate enough to work at a global company and excited to share that perspective. To start out, can you describe the Novus Marketplace to our listeners? How large is the feed ingredients industry and who are the customers, suppliers and competitors? Our focus is on the production of animal protein. So things like chicken meat, which we would call broilers, pork meat, a lot of dairy production, aquaculture. Our customers produce those, those products and, and you buy those in, in restaurants and, and, and grocery stores. One metric that we use to give people an idea of the size of the industry is the amount of feed that is produced and our products go into that feed. Globally, about 1.1 billion 
metric tons of feed is produced uh, around the world. And, and our customers can be larger companies that you would recognize the name of here in the United States to s- smaller family operations, again, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Europe. And, and really the, the type of, of protein produced around the world varies dramatically. So I would not assume that the, the protein production you see around the world is similar to the United States. The U.S. prefers a, a lot of chicken meat, as an example. India consumes a lot of dairy products. In fact, about 90% of the, the protein production over there is, is dairy, just as an example. And in, in China, pork meat is the preferred uh, animal protein. So it really varies around the world in terms of the type of protein produced, but that's what our market looks like. And and the the focus you know that, that Novus has is on on sustainably producing this type of the uh, protein for our for our customers and producing that in a, a sustainable manner that allows them to maintain their financial environmental sustainability as examples and we interact with them very strongly on developing scientific solutions for their problems. Let's chat about COVID-19. Dave, can you take us back to early 2020? Novus has sales and manufacturing in China. How did the pandemic emerge for the company? What did you do to begin to tackle this monumental challenge? I often think back to early 2020, uh, what we knew at that point in time was very different than what we know now. But let me set a little foundation for this discussion, which I think is important in terms of how we responded. And this will you know, carry throughout the rest of the conversation that we have. So, so Novus has done a great job in the past of developing what we call crisis management team. We abbreviate it CMT. And it's intentionally done within the organization to address any type of unforeseen event that may impact the business in a negative way. Obviously, a pandemic is one example, but you've likely seen on the news in the recent past a cyber attacks on companies and you know, really could be far ranging in types of the in terms of the type of event that the CMT team would address. But it's an intentional development of a team with a team leader. And, and in this case, I'm the I'm the team leader with regional and functional leads. So we clearly define accountabilities for each team member, what part they play in the team, what information they need to bring to the team and what actions they need to uh, take in in terms of responding to whatever crisis we have. We also have a crisis communication team. We call that the CCT. It's internal communication and external communication. And we've been trained. We go through simulations. So once a year, we go through mock crisis reviews and and then walk through a scenario or a crisis and then review how we responded to it. What could we do better? What did we do good? And we have multiple people that can fulfill these roles. For example, in early 2020, unlike today, I could have been on a plane flying to Europe and unavailable. So we have multiple people that can fulfill all these roles. But in early 2020, when we first saw this emerging, I was identified as the, the lead of the team. And really, our initial focus was on gathering information. And the focus, as you said, was China. We do have a manufacturing facility in Shanghai. And so our focus initially was very regional. And so I was not leading that effort. It was a regional lead in China leading the effort. And our focus is really maintained throughout the pandemic in really three main areas, employee safety, supply chain security, and interfacing with our customer. And, and so uh, much like we've seen you know, uh, around the world when the, when the pandemic first was, was hitting China, 
we identified employees that could work from home and those that could not work from home. And, and there were some hybrid employees that, that needed some access to some facilities, whether it was the office or manufacturing plant or lab, but not 40 hours a week. And so it's not very original, but we called group one, the employees that had to be on site somewhere. Group two were the hybrid employees and group three were the 100% can work from home employees. And so our focus was, okay, for groups one, based on what we know about COVID-19, what do we need to do in the workplace to keep them safe? And, and back at that time, you may remember three big things were masking. At the, at the time, it wasn't clear if it could spread through surfaces. So there was a tremendous amount of focus on sterilizing surfaces and continually throughout the, throughout the workday. And then, of course, social distancing as, as well. And so really get, keeping employees separated, you know, segregated from each other was, was important. Masks, a lot of personal protective equipment at that time, gloves. If you remember, there was a run on gloves and masks back in early 2020, and this was a global event, not just in the U.S. So getting our procurement team focused on getting those supplies to our manufacturing site in China was a focus for us for sure. And then educating our employees on, on how to work in this, this new environment. So there was that change management component as well. So that was really the focus in, in the group one and group two where they had to interface. Group three, we, we quickly had to pivot towards do these employees have suitable conditions at some location outside of work to work? So typically home. You know, so do they have a suitable internet connection? Do they have a suitable space that they can, you know, that they can work in? And much like later occurred in the U.S., you had uh families that had multiple people working from home. So it wasn't just our, you know, employee team member that that had to work from home. You might have two people working from home. And as we know, school children, children learning from home. And it was not always the case that every employee had a suitable home environment to work from. But our but our focus was on you know, internet connectivity, the right IT equipment, the right workspace at home. And in some cases, if that wasn't available, we were able to be, bring people back into the office. So an office that used to hold 30 people might have two people in it because those two people did not have a suitable you know, work from home environment. And that sustained, that's sustained up until now and, and up until this point in time. So people were, were highly engaged, highly energized and really wanting to overcome the situation that we found ourselves in. And engagement was, was very high. At the same time, there was a lot of personal anxiety Right with with people, our, our our knowledge at that point was lower than it is today. I think the, the the key for us in that time period was a high level of communication with managers, as 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 well as peers, and then we also started corporate communication meetings, which were virtual, but every employee in the company was invited. It was held at a time globally that that everybody could attend, which invariably is very early in the U.S midday in Europe and later in the afternoon or evening in Asia, uh, generally led by our, our CEO, Dan Mayer, with participation from many people, myself, but as well as employees of all levels explaining you know, what they're doing and how they're working and, and challenges and how they've overcome, as well as news about the, the organization that you might normally get at the office, but now you're not at the office, so how do you get it? And, and that's why we had these meetings. Dave, how you sell when the customer says, don't visit me? We were also saying that to our suppliers. So on one hand, we were 
getting that answer from our customers. On the other hand, we were giving that same comment to our to our suppliers. So I think a important context setting piece of information that that would be helpful in answering that question to understand is especially in the let's just take the U.S. as an example in the March, April, May, June time period. Everybody was focused on their production, safety of their employees, and their supply chain. So the best information or the best thing we could do for our customers at that point in time was explain to them what actions we were taking to secure our supply chain to them and, and how, we were, how we were securing that so that, that they would get their materials. You know, luckily, we're in a, in a business where we don't have to meet with customers face-to-face to supply our product, you can envision service industries like travel and things like that, where you have to be face to face to receive the goods or service. And in the case of restaurants is another good example. We're not in that situation. So we were very respectful of our customers desire to, to, to keep distance. Again, we had the same concerns with our manufacturing sites. If a sales representative or technical person or maintenance person came into one of our sites from the outside and exposed our employees uh, obviously, that would be a concern to us. So we were very respectful. We understood that commercial organizations very quickly leveraged Teams or Zoom, just just like I think a lot of us have been doing for the past year or so, and that worked very well. So in terms of the in terms of the day to day relationships and understanding their needs, our supply, that worked that worked extremely well. Uh, twenty twenty was not the time for us uh, and our customers to explore new solutions. Right. So, so I, I would say there was not a high appetite for our customers to explore new technologies or new solutions. It was very much keeping their keeping their operations producing, keeping our supply chains full. Now we are getting back into that mode and, and earlier this calendar year, earlier in 2021, again, depending on the on the location, China was absolutely the first country that opened up back to face to face meetings. We saw late last fall in calendar year 20, face-to-face meetings, conferences, and, and things like that. Here in, the, here in the United States, we're moving back in that direction. Thailand, we've, we've actually loosened up earlier, and then the pandemic got worse, so we've tightened back up. The same has occurred in India in, in terms of initially seeing, being able to have some contact with customers, but then the, the numbers escalated again, so we, we pulled back. So I think the the key is here. We've been we've taken a very regional approach in making those decisions. So we have uh, regional leads that make the decision on whether or not we visit customers in that region. So for example, I don't make that decision. We have commercial leads in Latin America. They understand the uh, our EHNS or policies and the 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 level of of uh, concern we have about our employees and customers. They make the call in the in the in the region in terms of us seeing customers. As we look forward, what have you learned from this experience, both internally and externally? A couple things internally, we've learned and, and understood the importance of uh, strong communication. And when I say that, I don't I mean meetings, uh, emails, but I also mean the, the the ERP system that I mentioned earlier, our enterprise resource planning system. We have one system. And when I say one system, this is our financial system. This is our inventory management system. This is our sales system where we track orders. And so any any employee can go in from their home, log in and get the most accurate information. One sort we call it one source of truth. There's one source of truth in the organization, which makes working remotely 
very possible, right? Maybe very possible. So a, a uh, logistics employee in uh, Thailand, as an example, has the ability to see what's going on with logistics in the U.S. and how we're exporting material from the U.S. to Thailand, when it's going to arrive, when they can count on it being there, things like that. Internally, I think that communication component, you know, is is very strong. The the flexibility component that I that I mentioned, but also the employee engagement component that I mentioned, right? So so making sure that we continue to engage our employees, whether it's as managers or as a as a leadership team. I mentioned the 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 global communication meetings. On the supply chain side, our our single points of failure or our weaknesses on the supply chain, right? That that has certainly been something that's been that's been highlighted. We we really have not had any significant problems because we were able to mitigate those, but we had never thoroughly planned for a global pandemic and what would we do if that occurred. Certainly what we see and we see it in our in our own supply chain as we're setting it up, but also connected supply chains to us, to our customer supply chains or our supplier supply chains is a stronger regional focus, right? And whether it's regionally having inventory or regionally having manufacturing capability is is understanding that what happens in one region of the world uh, two years ago, you, you might not have thought of the impact of what it could have two years ago. Today, you understand it very clearly. So you made design your supply chain differently. We're taking those considerations into in, into account for sure. You know, e- externally, the, the key things that we've we've learned in, in that regard again is related to communication with our with our customers and suppliers and also leveraging those relationships through a virtual environment that we haven't had to do before. So we've talked about, when I say we uh, internally and externally, but we've talked about one of the reasons I believe we were able to work so effectively from home is I, I knew many of the people I was working with virtually by working in with them in person for many years. And I also had the benefit of traveling throughout Novus around the world and developing relationships around the world with Novus. When you have a relationship with somebody and you understand their body language and you understand their tone of voice and you understand how they respond to different situations, and you know that from your in-person contact, you can pick that up easier in a virtual setting. It's harder if you've never met anybody in person and worked with them in person to work with them virtually. So we really leveraged internally and externally these relationships that we had that we had built over the years and i think that's one reason we would we have been successful in that environment that's not an environment that i think can maintain indefinitely you know as we as we have new employees enter the organization as we have new customers enter you know our supply chain as we have new suppliers enter our supply chain i i still think that in person uh, relationship and understanding is very important, and and that is eroding over time. It was the strongest it was ever going to be in March of 2020, and it's it's maintained or slightly eroded since then. So I think that those are important things to take into account. And then and then the last one to me, I think, was really the importance of flexibility and understanding the importance of of, of flexibility with my peers, with my outside contacts, and everybody in the midst of working from home. It was a very stressful time. Personally, you don't always know what's going on behind the screen with people. And so making sure that you maintain that flexibility, I think is important. Is Novus also changing its approach to suppliers, customers, and even government agencies? You believe you are better prepared today for the future challenge? Yeah. So, so I, I, yes, is the answer to your question. I believe there are still 
things we can do to improve and we will we will continue to improve as as uh, as I believe we're not complete with this pandemic we've not exited it completely so we still have a, a ways to go let's talk about our suppliers our own supply chain our customers and then and then uh, government agencies so so in in terms of our suppliers you know we we often have dual sourced or triple sourced you know raw materials for our manufacturing sites for what we call supply chain redundancy and competitiveness you know that has taken a whole new level of urgency with us given that we've not seen this challenge at one location in our global supply chain we've seen this challenge in every location in our global supply chain right with not just north america south america asia we've seen it europe we've seen it and and so strictly from a from a supply chain redundancy perspective you know that will be something that that we continue to improve on we're in very good shape but we we need to get to that near 100% mark. The staging of materials, and when I say that, I mean, where do we keep our raw materials and where do we keep our finished goods? That certainly has been a a learning. And typically we had assumed that logistics were, were plentiful and easy to get. And so we would keep, for example, a lot of inventory in one location knowing or believing that on moment's notice we could ship it across the ocean to another to another location as i mentioned earlier now we're much more going to a, a strategy of getting that inventory in the in the regions and cl- closest to the customer is what we call it, closest to the customer and so that's definitely been a learning in, in our in our own supply chain in terms of our customers i, I think it's very related to what i just mentioned is getting our our product as, as close as possible to our customers and not not again relying on one location to have a to have a lot of inventory. So I'll give you a, I'll give you an example. This is a lesson we had learned prior to the pandemic through actually some storms, but the the impact was the same and the solution is kind of the same. We can store material for the example North America market. We have some liquid product and we can store all that in uh, rail cars in in one location or we can store it in multiple locations around North America on the West Coast, in the Midwest, in the South, in the North, in the Northeast, in the Southeast, so that if any one area gets impacted, we still have inventory we can pull from from the rest of the North American market. Or worse, if, if we had all of our materials stored in, let's say, Southeast US and a hurricane came in and flooded rails getting out of that rail yard, then our, all of our inventory for North America would be tied up in that one rail yard. Diversity of inventory and getting our you know inventory well positioned in multiple locations so that one event doesn't impact our regional or global inventory. On the regulatory side, so we had a government agency side. So our products in any country have various levels of approval that need to occur before it can be used in in diets. Often in the past, these dossiers were submitted in person. So you'd go to an office and you'd submit it, or you'd submit it to somebody who worked in an office. So maybe you would electronically submit it to somebody who worked in an office. And those offices, in some cases, they didn't have a work from home option. They just closed. And so these government agency offices closed and yeah we may have submitted it in june but there was nobody looking at it june or july or august of last year in some cases uh, as we've seen 
in 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 various type of, of uh, regulatory agencies, there was a waiver, right? And and and, and there was a waiver a waiver or extension uh, granted. In other cases, that did not occur. And so we would leverage relationships we had with those with those agencies to explain the urgency of the the situation. In many cases, that was successful. But again, getting back to my point about developing relationships with with people and understanding their their situation, their contact information, being able to be transparent about our situation and and the urgency associated with it, uh, and, and so. Ensuring that we continue to have strong relationships with those regulatory agencies or government agencies uh, around the around the world. One of the key points that I mentioned is it's it's crucial to understand not everywhere in the world works like the U.S. and especially in the case of a crisis. And so I very quickly in one day moved to a work from home environment and essentially had everything I needed in terms of access to information, in terms of access to technology, peers, customers, suppliers. Not everybody in the world has that luxury by, by, by a long shot. So in the case of the agencies that I mentioned, some of them just shut down. Again, it's important to to not wait to the last minute, prepare ahead as much as you can that, to mitigate any of these types of situations, get as many contacts as you possibly can and understand their limitations. They may not have the same kind of the uh, access to technology and information that we have. Dave, it has been my privilege to talk with you today and thank you for a most informative conversation. You have any closing comments for our listeners? I guess my only comment or a couple comments would be as follows. First, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share these experiences. I personally learn a lot from hearing other people's experiences and taking parts of that and applying it to myself instead of having to learn it from scratch. So I really appreciate this opportunity and enjoyed it. I think one thing that I did not mention, I mentioned several things in, in the discussion today, is we learned that it's impossible almost to predict the future. I've gone back and looked at emails from the past, whether it's March of 2020 or June, and things we were thinking were going to happen did not happen, and we were completely off base. I remember when we left the office on March 16th, I said to one of my colleagues, I said, oh, I'll, I'll probably see you in a couple weeks, you know, see you in a, a couple weeks. And then we laughed. We said, oh, no, maybe next year. And here it is 17 months later, and I still haven't seen him face to face. I've talked to him over the phone. So it's impossible to predict the future. So, so really, the key, I think, is to plan for scenarios. And you have scenario A, scenario B, scenario C, scenario D, whether it's on a customer level, supply chain level, uh, wh where's the pandemic going to grow and not grow? How are governments going to respond to the pandemic? We've seen governments respond very differently to the pandemic, as an example, how employees will respond to the pandemic. So just plan scenarios, prepare for those scenarios. And then as those unfold, you can explore those and, and push those further. But trying to predict the future, if anything, 2020 taught us that's impossible and it seems to continue to be the case in 2021. Thank you very much, Dave. Great. Thank you. In the next episode, we will continue exploring COVID-19 business challenges with merits. Please join us. This is your host, Patricio Duran, having conversations that matter. Thank you for tuning in to the SLU International Business Now Conversations That Matter podcast. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast series so you don't miss any future episodes. 
To learn more about the Executive Master of International Business program, please visit biib.slu.edu. Again, that's biib.slu.edu. Currently, we are accepting applications for the fall 2021 semester.